episode 100. Woo! I've put up with you for 100 episodes. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> and I've, I've drank your whiskey for probably close to 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I've brought some beer a few times. Yeah. Whiskey and beer, that's what this show's well, about. Well, this is going to be the most uneventful, anticlimactic. 100th episode? Yes. Ugh. Yeah, because I, I, didn't, I didn't get my homework done. I didn't either. I, well, I didn't make any promises at all, but that's hard. Like a, a, like a what do you call it? A, a montage uh, or something? Yeah. yeah. Like a, it's, it's a lot to distill, and I think I was mentioning this earlier before we started recording that, you know, when you kind of get your favorite things that you want to put in there, it ends up adding up pretty quickly. And then you got to find a way to distill it and you want it to be creative and you want it to flow and you get these ideas of grandeur and then you have to scale it back. So it's a, it's a work in progress right yep. now. Well, that gives us time to talk about our initial thoughts on Dreamforce. It's Friday right now. And I guess everyone's probably uh, working on getting back home, huh? Uh, yeah, nursing hangovers, working on getting back home. <laughs> I saw some pretty late uh, comments on... Twitter and Slack. Oh yeah, yeah. People are out having a good time. But let's let's talk about the happy hour first. Let's okay. Let's thank everyone for making the time to show up, and thank you to Jay for helping to organize all that, and to Sean for showing up and bringing some towels for everyone. And thanks to John and Jay for buying drinks. Yeah, assuming that happened. <clears throat> I saw the receipt. Okay, he did. And now we're in, now we're on in negotiations because. Jay wants to be super generous and cover it all. And I'm like, well, I want to cover some too. Yeah. <laughs> so we are negotiating. I thought, I thought you were going to say we were, gonna, we were disputing expenses. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. There was a pretty good turnout. And there were like a couple of rounds. There was like an early phase of people and like a separate phase where second yeah. phase where more people showed up. So Yeah, so I got to FaceTime with everyone before you jumped on. That was we, probably the only moment of this whole week where I was like, I kind of wish I was there at Dreamforce. Yeah, same here. I mean, I definitely would have wished to be at the, if I could somehow magically go to the happy hour and then, and then leave. <laughs> and then go back home. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that would make life so much better. You could just teleport to some location, do your thing, and then come home. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Dreamforce was... Dreamforce is Dreamforce. <clears throat> yeah. In fact, um, somebody posted this. I don't know where I found this. I think it was in a, a comment or something, but... I wanted to play this. This is just a clip from um, the Dan Lyons book, Disrupted, which is funny because he's got that chapter in there about Dreamforce. Right. Pain. It's a nightmare. None of this is as awful as Benioff himself. He stands six feet five inches tall and weighs 300 pounds with gleaming white teeth and curly black hair that glistens with hair gel. He is a former salesperson who now sells software that lets other salespeople sell more stuff. It's called Customer Relationship Management, or CRM, software. Benioff is also one of the wealthiest people in the world, a member of the Forbes billionaire list. Here in the main auditorium of the Moscone Center, thousands of people who sell things over the Internet are standing up and cheering for him as if he's some kind of superhero. The whole thing makes me depressed, in part because Benioff is a buffoon a bullshit artist and such an out-of-control egomaniac that it is painful to listen to him talk. He lives in Hawaii and signs his emails, Aloha. He's a Buddhist and hangs out with Zen monks from Japan. 
and he gave his golden retriever the title Chief Love Officer at his company. He is the Ron Burgundy of tech. He and this conference are the essence of everything that has gone wrong in the industry. Have you transformed the way you innovate? was Benioff's big line at the 2012 Dreamforce show. Note that you can switch the two buzzwords in the sentence, and it still sounds good and still means nothing. Meaningfulness is not a word, but should be. There's an art to this kind of horseshit, and Benioff is its Michelangelo. More depressing is that Benioff represents a threat to HubSpot, and while he may be ridiculous, he's not someone you want to have as an enemy. Salesforce used to be HubSpot's... Yeah, yeah I'll cut it off there, but... <clears throat> yeah, it was a long one. He, uh, Benioff is a powerful guy. That's that's the bottom line. And this is his big... So that was, that was a reading from that book? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a funny book. It's, it, it's, so he worked for HubSpot. He was the guy that did... His name's Dan Lyons. He did um, the fake Steve Jobs account, Twitter mm-hmm. account, for the longest time. He, he did that for like two years and no one knew it was him. It was great. It was one of the best parody accounts ever. But he's been a journalist and an author. But a couple of years ago, he went and took a job at HubSpot. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a few years ago. I can't remember now. Time slips away. Um, but HubSpot ended up being a disaster, and they're you know he ended up writing about how how ageist they are and how which what a what a sweatshop it is. Um, and then he this book was part of that. I think he wrote a couple of books, but um, yeah, and then there was, there was a lot of drama because I think HubSpot was going to sue him about this book or something. They didn't want it to be. Mm. Published order, but anyway, it's got that the whole chapter about Benioff and, and Salesforce and Dreamforce. <laughs> so. But that that book's a few years old, right? No, it's um. I feel like this year. I mean, I bought it when it came out. When, that was something we talked about before. Maybe it was this. year. We did talk about it, but I, <clears throat> I don't know. Thought it was this year. It's yeah. not that. I mean, it, it may it may be. It was either 2016 or 2015. Pretty sure it was this year, but. Well, he he didn't mince any words, did he? No. Um. It's hard. I don't know. I have noticed that with every year, the 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 Benioff keynote skews more and more towards other things other than the 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 actual product itself. I mean, we used to get we used to get you know the kind of the you know fifteen twenty minutes of charity and all the other things that they have going on at Salesforce numbers and employees and you know we we'd see the charity work that's being done that day. And then we'd start getting into the product announcements, and that would go on for quite a bit, and that was the proportion of it. But it seems lately it's the proportion skewing more and more towards this other stuff, you know, less about the product and more about this other stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I feel like, I don't know, as, far, as, as long as I've been following Dreamforce, it's, it's always been a distraction. And maybe that's a good thing. I mean, I think a lot of people, especially if their employer is going to pay for it, you know, they go to something like this because it is a big distraction. It's in, you know, a new, a different city and, you know, there's a lot of parties and it's fun and it's it's just a big distraction. It's fun, you know. Um, some people are serious about learning some stuff there, but I think a lot of people just, you know, admins and salespeople, they're just like their company sent them on a a, a vacation here. So have yeah. fun, you know. <clears throat> well, I think what, what well, you say learn and I, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm not going to say that nobody learns anything, but I, I think a good good amount of it, especially when it comes to new technology that's being announced, I think everyone leaves with the same buzzwords. Everyone leaves with a few snippets of, it, it's supposed to have this, it's supposed to do this, it's supposed to do that. But no one has any kind of real concrete context on what all that means, how it works, what it does. It, it seems like we're still still at a very high level. So in terms of learning stuff at a very deep, you know, level, I don't, I don't see I don't see that happening at Dreamforce. Well, I think some of that has to do with how people learn. <clears throat> you know, I'm not, I don't learn well by sitting and listening. 
And so I tend to not like to go to the sessions that are these really, because they do have them, a lot of them, these practical hands-on, like here's how you train people. That's one that Shell does, right, every mm-hmm. every year. And it's he kind of does a different version of, I think this year was like training on lightning or something like that. And they've got him in a big room. That's That's been a really successful, really series of sessions that that he does. Um, and I think those are great if if that's how you learn. And mm-hmm. if that's, you know, if you have gone there to learn and just some real nuts and bolts type of stuff, it's really good. I don't learn that well like that. I'm, I'm a, I have to read things for myself and tinker myself. That's how I learn. So yeah. sitting in a, you know, in a, in a kind of a hands, uh, eyes forward conference, just, it doesn't, um, it's not, I, I, I get ADD and I, I lose focus and it just, it doesn't work for me. So that's when I, th- I think, you know, last year I said I kind of learned the lesson that I should avoid those types of sessions because they're just not for me. But there's a lot of those there. So I don't want, I definitely don't want to necessarily say that, you know, Dreamforce is, you're not going to learn anything there. If you want to learn things, and if that's how you learn, you can learn a lot. You know, just go to a lot of those sessions. Um, but for me, it doesn't work that way. And if you want to learn, you know, okay, so if you want to learn what, you know, what the best way to set up lead conversion and what the best way to, whatever, all these kind of nuts and bolts things. There's a lot of that stuff there. But the stuff I want to learn mm-hmm. is not stuff that I can learn by reading the documentation because I'm, I can read. I'm, you know, kind of a, again, I'm a, kind of a self-teacher and that's how I like to learn. Right. I want to learn about the, I want to know how I'm going to be working in the next year. What tool, what new things are coming. And that's the kind of thing for Dreamforce that I think has more and more gotten to where you just don't get as much new stuff. Um, and the news, and when they do talk about the new stuff, a lot of it is either just, again, absolute horseshit, as Dan Lyons pointed out, or it's it's currently vaporware, mm-hmm. you know, and and like think of the the Salesforce DX, which the, the name in and of itself is interesting, interesting choice. But um, is it vaporware? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's uh, it'll be in a pilot. I, get, I would assume. I think at some point you can you can probably get signed up. You know, when I when I go to Salesforce's main webpage for Dreamforce DX. Mm-hmm. It, it's a it's a lead you know if you want to know anything more about it there's a button you click it and then it's a lead gen form mm, that's horrible I mean this is that right there is the most anti developer experience I could possibly imagine developers hate that shit yeah it's like you're still not getting it well I don't know I used to give them credit because you you, you can go to developer force or whatever is force dot com whatever it used to be before it became salesforce or developer dot salesforce dot com um. And you had all the information, you had all the documentations. You well, you, you still do. You can do all that kind of stuff. But it seems more and more with these new product announcements, they hide them behind these lead gen forms, and that's when there's nothing there, or or it's not ready yet. They 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 can't give it to you yet in any form or fashion. I mean, I, th- there's clearly some concrete things here to DX. I don't mean to say that there's there, DX is not real. I do think it's real, and and over and we can I guess I don't know whatever point get into. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot to talk about, but what what we do talk what we do know. I, I think we can talk about, but um, what, what was I saying? I lost my my train of thought. DX. We talked about the name. We talked about the lead gen form. <laughs> talked about you know whether, yeah, whether or not some, some vaporware. Yeah, so, so yeah, okay. So clearly, there's there's some stuff that's there. I mean, they demoed it. It's it's working to to some degree. It's just you know, there's probably just a lot of piloting and whatever that needs to happen to so that it's hopefully at the level of quality that you know they want it to be at in order to release it but are, are we expecting too much out of out of dreamforce in terms of developers i know what i was going to say but can you come back to that thought here yeah. in a minute okay yeah. i lost it <laughs> sorry <laughs> i lost it go again what was your question well we're talking you know we, we've been talking about you know the the deep you know how deep we get into the weeds with, with some of this new stuff that they've been talking about 
And, you know, is it, is it that my expectation is wrong that, that maybe a conference like Dreamforce isn't the place for that? That's, that's a good point. I mean, the Salesforce platform is not, and it never has been a, a first class developer platform. So it's never going to be a first class developer conference. In fact, Salesforce had to redefine what the word developer means so that, so that their conference fit. Right. So that it, they could say it was for developers. And sure, you've got developers that are what you and I, the type of stuff that you and I do, and some of these other guys that have figured out ways to, they've either written their own command, command line thing or they've written their own Solenopsis or they've, um, you know, they got this whole set of scripts that lets them do continuous integration and, and try to mimic as closely as possible a, a solid CI and deployment. Right. Um, capability um but as you say sometimes and you know for better or worse what was that uh, was that the bottle yes. for better or worse i mean we're kind of like with the one percenters and and hopefully not a bad way <laughs> there's just i mean if you if you look at the bell curve there's just i mean most people who are salesforce developers whatever that means this is this is not what they're working on this is not how they work and so, the, you know, this conference is not just not for people like us. Right. I'd agree. Um, I really do. I really like, though, that at least Salesforce with DX and what's the guy's name who's um, running it? Because we, we need to keep him on our radar. Do you remember his name? I found him on Twitter. Um, Wade? I don't know, Wagner or Wegner? Um, mm. Yeah, Wade. Wade Wegner. Oh, that's probably the... How would you say that? <laughs> Obviously a German name. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so he's, you know, I think like a PM of Salesforce DX or something like that. But I think he did some demos and he, he also, there's some, um, where was this? There was a, he did an interview. It was, it was a written interview. I think it was InfoQ. Uh, yeah, it was InfoQ. We'll put in the show notes and where he talked about it and stuff. But I, but I like that they are, it's, uh, um, it's more than lip service. <laughs> They are paying lip service, but they're also, I mean, they're, they're clearly working on some things here to improve the, the actual developer experience. Right. And the fact that, you know, I don't, I don't know whether you, whether it's, you know, you know, ballsy or whether it's uh, outright, um, what's the word, like conceited or, or, or oblivious that they called it, that they literally, they're calling this developer experience because Honestly, the developer experience in Salesforce has been quite bad compared to pretty much anything else for for years. Well, I mean, it could be a, a mantra of sorts that, you know, to say, you know, we, we know we have these developers, we know that they have a poor experience and they're complaining constantly. Yep. And, you know, th- this, is our, this is our way of, you know, putting focus on it. And Our and, focus is developer experience. And in as much as this is a first step, I'm, I'm quite uh, encouraged by it. You so know. I, I know a lot of people were hearing some of these things and, you know, they're really excited for you. <laughs> they're, well, exci- they're excited to well, hear little rumors of namespaces. They're excited to, to see the, the CLI and, and, and new attention towards the metadata, you know, being fully, right. f- f- fully uh, source controlled. Well, and, you know, and they, uh, well, uh, let's just go ahead and dig into this. I mean, if we want to talk about DX now, because I did take some of us. And I have also, I've got, I mean, I wanted, he's, there's a lot of quotes from Wade in this article that I just wanted to go through and, and I don't know if we if you know anything else. I, I really didn't. I mean, I did watch the keynote. I, you didn't watch the keynote. You were, ver- I, you were busy. Yeah, I meant to, but I was working. I thought I'd listen to it, but I, I got busy. And I wasn't fully paying attention. I need to I need to go back and watch that again. But I do have some of these quotes. But you know, 
one thing they said is, um, and I thought this was interesting, a unified process for all developers. Um, and I know, I think I know what they mean. I don't know, but I actually don't like that. Like, I don't want you to give me, I don't want Salesforce to tell me what the, what process I should follow. You know, the, Salesforce should, should be providing the tools and the frameworks and the languages that let us use whatever process we need to use. You know, the underlying technologies that allow, that can be adapted to any process. Mm-hmm. So, so, so on that idea, I have to give it a, oops. Wow, that was slow. I wonder if you can, do you think that was audible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a, we don't, we don't need a unified process. I mean, the process I use on one of my projects is probably not the right process for, that, that you use on one of your projects. And, Right. I mean, there's there's different there's different people. Some of these, you know, it's just you can't have a unified process. And and I don't want to make too much of that because I feel like that was one of those just throwaway buzzword lines. A unified process for all development. I mean, it sounds good, except until you actually think about it, and you're like, no, that's not right. We don't is need. It, a, is it a misnomer? Like maybe they're trying to discuss CI or something instead. Well, let's just let's go ahead and get into the actual some of the stuff that Wade said. Um, so I love, just just to review what this is. So DX is a, is a new model, except it's not new. It's very old. I mean, it's old and tested b- for building and deploying applications to the Salesforce platform. Uh, DX embraces concepts such as source control management, continuous integration, and scripting that until now have been somewhat foreign to many Salesforce developers, which um, those are all good things, and that is true. I think this is something that's foreign to most Salesforce developers. Uh, one thing that they've been saying that I, that I like is that, you know, source control Mm-hmm. not your sandboxes, is the source of truth. And in order to do this right, right, that is true. That is how you have to do it. What? That means, that but means you know what's great lot. about this? Mm-hmm. All of my clients that I've kind of, I mean, I think they appreciate it, right? But I push, I yeah. push them to the right process and to use these tools and everything. And this is now for the first time, because most of them are Dreamforce. This is the first time ever Salesforce is actually validating what I have been doing and how I've been working with Salesforce for years now. I'm like, yes, I'm so glad my clients are hearing this. <laughs> I'm not just the weird, you know, <laughs> developer that's off his rocker. The curmudgeon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Wade says, uh, D- DX defines an entirely new way to develop, deploy, and upgrade Salesforce apps across their entire lifecycle, bringing together the best of Force.com and Heroku developer experiences uh, to enable source-driven development of code, team collab, with governance, seamless promotion of code from development to... Pro- this is interesting. We'll have to dig down on this. I mean, seamless promotion of code from development to production. I, th- I still think there's a lot of problems that this is not... that they are not yet solving. Um, but continuous integration with automated testing and support for third-party tools within the lifecycle. Uh, developers can achieve new levels of agility for custom app development on Salesforce. So again, I mean... It's it's really good that they're thinking about this and that they're starting to move in that direction. There's just there's there's a whole lot of work to do, and it's gonna mm-hmm. be it's gonna be crawl before you run here. And there, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of gaps that have to be covered. I mean, there's there's gonna be gaps with process builder. There's gonna be gaps with flow and the way those work and how those kind of impact deployments. There's a lot of things that aren't in the metadata that you can't source control. It just doesn't exist. Right. And so, for example, you know, one of the new things in DX is the scratch orgs. Well, even if I've got Every bit of metadata that you can get out of out of my org, and I've got it on disk, and I've got it in version control. When I go deploy that to my scratch org, I mean, at least, unless there's something new and magical they're doing with the metadata API, that's probably not going to deploy to a scratch org. There's just there's too many things that aren't available in metadata. There's too many bugs in the metadata API that require you to actually break down. If you're talking about from 
a, a vanilla org, brand new scratch org, your metadata. You're gonna have to break down that metadata, and and, and you're only gonna have to you're only gonna be able to do this based on the error message you get from meta, from the metadata. But there's things you have to do. You can't just say, "Here's my here's the build." Mm-hmm. Plop this onto this org. You have to split that up, whittle it into these different shapes that the metadata can handle. Um, there's there's scenarios where, let's say in in the because there's a whole uh, metadata kind of category for settings. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they are: lead conversion settings, search settings, all these different things. And some of these settings control whether a whole feature is enabled or not. And this is just an example where you actually have to submit one metadata job where you just simply enable that thing. And then right. you on a separate, again, separate, okay? Not atomic, not all or none, a separate metadata job. You basically have to split this up. So you right. still don't have atomic deployments. You know, there's still, you're still not going to have a rollback path. And so, even then, not, not everything is automatable. So, is that the right word? It can't be automated. Well, if it's not in the metadata API, it's certainly you, you, not. So there, there, there are activities where you might have to split it, deploy something, manual intervention, and then continue with the deployment. Yeah, and one of the things that we've suffered with from for a long time now is that the, a metadata job can't be more than, I think, 400 meg, and for a lot of big orgs, that's just not enough. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's this is where I've, I've got tooling that I've just cobbled together that's um, that can basically look at your destination. It, it when you're going to deploy, it looks at your destination org and it figures out all the things that are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It'll even do, you know, bit by bit comparison if, if even if even if uh, timestamps and things are the same. And in order to do that, it has to download everything from that target org, downloads the entire metadata. And then it puts together a, a deployment package that's only things that are different or new. And that's how I get under that. A lot of times that's how I get under that 400 meg limit. But is this going to is this going to solve that or, you know, we didn't hear anything about that, so I ju- I just don't know. But I do know there's man there's there's a lot of problems they need to solve in order to yeah I mean in order to, to realize this vision they do, I, mean, I, I appreciate do. them going down this path though I appreciate yeah. them putting the attention to it but I I, I think the reality is that it, this is going to be a long road this is going to be some trial and error some baby steps I, I don't think they're going to knock it out of the park in one shot. So it says um. You know, it's it's more it's a lot it's about a lot more than just metadata. Um, a lot of a lot of enterprises are developing distributed composable applications that combine Salesforce code with microservices developed on open languages and frameworks. So I guess here they're talking about, you know, you've got some stuff on force.com, but you've also got maybe something running on AWS or Heroku or you know, mm-hmm. they gotta throw a microservice in there just because that's the latest buzzword, but what, whatever, however it's it's architected. Let's, let's toss some Docker Lightning containers. I know, yeah, too. exactly. Um, but Salesforce DX it says it's, it's specifically designed to support these distributed type of application designs. Uh, Wade says our continuous delivery and, and continuous integration tools built on Heroku are agnostic to the languages or languages that are used to write these custom apps. With Salesforce DX, we have added support for Salesforce applications and Apex to these tools. It's so general, I'm not sure exactly what he's talking about. It maybe just deployment like I don't know like Jenkins yeah. or Circle CI or one of these things um, and then the CLI is one of the most exciting additions for the Salesforce developer it's built on Heroku CLI and provides a way for developers to take advantage of our APIs and this is interesting because I, I use a number of these CLI things um, I use the Ant what's it called migration tool mm-hmm. I use Solenopsis I use a couple of different of Kevin O'Hara's Things I use his um, uh, was it ng uh, 
his grunt, his grunt, uh, Salesforce grunt tools. And then he's got a newer node-based CLI that I've, that I've been using on some things. And so what I don't know yet is, because I looked at, if you just look at the commands that it supports, it looks like it's the same things that these other tools do. Um, but there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely areas where you can improve and enhance and make these things a lot more capable. So maybe that's what they're doing. Would you be surprised if the, the step one of what we're seeing is, is pretty much what you're doing today, but in a more kind of packaged way? It, it wouldn't, well, no, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it's, again, these are things that if, if you wanted to do this already, you, you can do these things. It's just, I mean, the, the biggest hurdle, the biggest roadblock is the metadata API. I mean, I already do command these commands. I already have completely automated things. I have one button deployments. I've already, I've already got all that. I mean, it's things that the community and that we've built these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the kind of stuff's available if you want it. But you're still, you're still dealing with a metadata API. You still can't. There's still not a good rollback thing. There's still no, no, you know, known build. Oh, here's the exact build. I mean, bit by bit, and all the tests pass. It's good. Like that may not be good. You may not be able to get that into an org. That's the problem, right? Because you can't replace the build that's in an org. Right. You can modify it, which makes it a non-idempotent operation. You have to modify the build that's in an org already. Right. You can't just say, "Here's our known good build." You have to do this complex thing of diffing the known good build to what's in Salesforce, and then calculating your ads, your removes, your changes, and all that kind of stuff, and then hoping that but you won't hit any metadata API bugs or limitations that prevent you from doing that in a one-step deployment. Right. You know, does it support renames? I mean, that's a huge... I mean, first of all, we shouldn't have to care about renames. I mean... Or refactoring in general. Yeah, or... or And a big thing on traditional, or really any, any other kind of, kind of enterprise application deployment is you have what's called database migrations that are built into the deployment. And so the, the deployment package will have usually like a folder with, with a list of every database migration that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. And, and as a part of deployment, when the application then starts back up, it looks to see if there's a new migration. And if so, it runs it. And so these are how you modify, you evolve your database schema over time. You add new seed data, change existing seed data, all that kind of stuff. And it's a combination of DML, DML and DDL, right? So you, mm-hmm. can, um, you, might need to, you might be splitting an existing table into two tables. Well, when you do that, you need to then after you create the two new tables, you need now a statement or a set of statements that push that splits that data up and puts them in the right tables. But there's still things you can't do on Salesforce. And you sure as hell can't roll that back. Yeah, and that, that's going to be a tough problem to solve in general for them because, because of the way they manage dependencies. Yeah, I mean, that's... I don't know. I mean, I guess in, in order for Salesforce to be this, uh, this is kind of a price of multi-tenancy. I mean, it's not your database. It's everyone's database. And right. you can't just, like, run your scripts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, not in the way that you normally could. So there's a lot of this that's just made hard just because this is this is SaaS. This is a software as a service that someone else runs. And yes, it's it's probably the most configurable one out there. But it's still you're still not deploying your application onto it. You're you're when it comes down to it, we can we can think that we're deploying and building custom applications, but what we're really doing is deploying our configuration changes to someone else's software. Right. Yeah. I mean, your Apex code is simply data to Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I know I'm vastly simplifying or grossly simplifying things here, but that's really kind of what it is. You ha- and you have to understand that if not, you'll you'll be overwhelmed with frustration on why this doesn't work the way you're used to things working in your Java land, .NET land, whatever. It's just doesn't work that way. 
Um, so the CLI, according to Wade, is, is, will be the principal way that, sells, that developers will interact with Salesforce. Um, you can use it to create scratch orgs, push and pull metadata into the org, and, and even perform operations that affect metadata, metadata in the org. For example, assigning a permission set for an app or executing. So some of those sound like useful utilities. Mm-hmm. But when it boils down, I mean, the CLI is just a tool that uses, that is a user of these APIs. What really matters is that these APIs and the implementation behind those APIs are what's moving forward. Right. You know, I don't, I mean, it's, this is, it'll, if, if this CLI is, is, is well done and whatever, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if this is something I can add to my tool belt. Um, but I know it's going to be limited by the same things I'm limited by when I write or when Kevin O'Hara or any of these other guys right. write their CLI tools. We're all dealing with the same API and the mm-hmm. same architecture. Right. Um, but yeah, they're saying, you know, again, the source of truth for your app is no longer the org. It's the version control system. Thank you. Uh, and the new Scratch org makes it easier for developers to build their apps and automate continuous integration and continuous delivery. Um. The Scratch org allows developers de- uh, to develop using local source, run all their tests, and deliver confidence before they commit back into VCS. That's the right idea. Again, I'm, I'm skeptical that they're there yet with the way that the metadata system works. And, and what again, do they mean by local source? Your, you do a Git clone, and you've got, now boom, on your hard drive in this folder right here, you've got the source. Uh-huh. The 100%, you know, beginning to end source of truth for that org. And the, the, this, this Scratch org is supposed to enable that? Or it's supposed well, to is, enable me to kind of test my particular source without actually publishing it to Salesforce? So it's, I, the way I'm thinking of my mental model of these Scratch orgs, it's basically like a lightweight sandbox. First of all, there's basically an API for it now. So that was one of my big mm-hmm. things that hopefully you, you Salesforce will be able to check off the list now. Is that, a, a, yeah. yeah. I mean, and we need an API for instances. Right. Even if it's for now, it's just test instances. Um, and that's what this is. It's you can spin up an organ. They, I think they're going to prioritize these like at the top of the list. Like these should be fast. That's my question. Is is simple and they, fast? And well, I think. I mean, they, that's what they they did talk about. That that's they're fast. You'll be able to spin them up fast. I mean, if it's if it's you know under five minutes, I'm pretty happy. It would be great if it's sixty seconds. I mean, I can spin up a. An instance on many other systems in under but, 60 seconds. But the scratch seconds, isn't but. meant to, to exist for any length of time, right? It, it's supposed to it should, it should, exist for execution and, and that transaction, and then it it's should, gone, right? Well, I mean, it should exist until I, as a developer, kill it. Okay. But if I want to keep it around, I should be able to. I mean, it's not going to have probably tons of storage, and you're not going to, you know, as with probably like a developer sandbox, it's going to be limited in, I'm guessing here, number of users, amount of data you can store in it, whatever. But yeah, I mean, an API to spin it up, an API to kill it, you know, maybe I don't. I don't know if you'll be able to clone them yet, or whatever, or or even almost like bake. You know, you bake an AMI uh, for Amazon or whatever. I don't know if you'll be able to like, okay, freeze dry this exact thing, and I want I want this to be a template. Mm-hmm. This particular con- configuration of things, but that's kind of, I think that's kind of uh, not that doesn't fit the model of where Salesforce is going with this. They they don't because that's kind of what a sandbox and sandbox templates are nowadays. Right. What the, what the model of these scratch orgs is? It's a way to get. An absolute vanilla. That's the way you test a way. That's the way you test what you think is your is your complete tested build. Because think about, I mean, what is a what is a build in, in the Salesforce world? What is a software build in Salesforce world? Well, it's all it's all this metadata. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But also it gets more complex when you've got static resources that are Angular apps and who knows what all kinds of crap that, you know, they've, you've, got, you've got all these embedded build processes that have to run. That, I mean, this, this is the kind of thing that I that I've automate completely. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's metadata. It's, um, it's everything from, you know, you know, all your custom objects and your code and all that, but also um, these things that are required to build static resources. So all those things have to run and be successful. And then you can zip that final thing up. And now, you, and, and who knows what else? I mean, you might generate documentation from that build, right? If you do an Apex doc or any of these other things. I mean, there's a lot of things that can go into producing what is a build. But to me, that's, those are the main things that make up like when I talk about what is a, what is a build in Salesforce. Well, that's what it is. Um, but does, is, does this set of bits, when I do a git clone from my company's repository and I get this thing and I, and I you know, type whatever it is, you know, build, ant build or wh- whatever build you're using. And I'm, then now I've got this zip file, basically, that now gets, needs to be deployed. How do I test that that build works? That it is, you know, what we think it is. And how do we certify that build? As, you know, everyone, whatever your process for certifying a build is, it gets deployed, all the tests have to pass, and then maybe you might have a Selenium test that then run. You may have a manual testing that you want to do. But in the end, like the whole team needs to say, okay, that is a gold build. We're good. Mm-hmm. We all agree. We all sign off on this. Well, how do you do that if you don't have a vanilla org? Because again, in the Salesforce world, we have this problem of it really depends a lot on the org you're deploying to. Right. Because you can't just replace that build. You've got to, you know, you've got to do these non-idempotent operations. You've got to add and remove and change and, and, and do them in certain orders. And sometimes you have to split those up into two builds because Salesforce doesn't support in a lot of cases um, like removing, like you can't remove, like say you want to... Um, change a completely change a class or I'm trying to think of what I've done maybe it's fields but you basically like you know you know now and that you can do um your pre-destructive and your post-destructive they enabled that a few versions yeah. ago you can't delete something and then in that same build add it back which I'm like which you really should be able to right so but that's just an example of you you actually can't have one build or you can't have one deployment you're going to have to now what your certified gold beautiful build is now you got to destroy that because now you got to man. You're, this is manual. This is we're no longer in push button. We're going to push single push button. We're going to deploy this certified build. No longer. Now you got to decompose that build into these separate steps and hope that you do it right and hope that you don't get to the last step and it and it you can't get it to go through because now your org is in an unknown state where you could be corrupting data. Things could be not working because you didn't have a single atomic build that either failed or succeeded. You've in, you're in partial. You're half. You're half pregnant. <laughs> well, I'm curious. You Which know, shouldn't with, be possible, with, but that's with where, all of this from from a developer perspective. How do we bring in all the declarative stuff into that fold of scratch orgs and everything else? It, it's all part of it. I mean, the declarative. It's all. I mean, I mean, in my mind, like when we're talking about using a scratch org to de- to deploy a build to to test. Or to, I don't I'm not sure if, if the scratch works if it's designed for you to develop in, but whatever. Um, that includes all everything. I mean, all the point and click stuff, all the all the con, all the what do they call declarative configuration? Mm-hmm. It's everything. And and it and, and I mean, I think this process, you you all these all types of people are involved in the process of actually um, building this software. There are there are administrators involved. 
there are people who are like the data people involved. You've got the, you know, actual, de- real developers, actual developers involved. And you've got to have, you know, either sandboxes or maybe scratch orgs for them. They've all got to be participating in this source control process. I don't, I don't I, see, I, that, that makes sense to me, but I don't, I don't know that the scratch org is going to be that. I think the scratch org is, is a point in time. Otherwise, you're just, you're just talking about developer sandboxes and partial sandboxes. Tell me what you mean by scratch org is a point in time. I don't think it's going to exist as long as as long as you think it's going to exist. I I think it's going to be more of a a point in time, meaning at the point of point in time your 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 process, your flow, your deployment process happens, or your validation or your build happens. It'll exist for that point in time, and then it's gone because it's it's gone through and validated everything. You're st- I, but, I think well, you're I still doing. I can't log into it and manually get in there and test things. I don't think so. Oh come, on, that's ridiculous. I can't, I, I can't believe you would even think that. That's stupid. Well, then how is it any different than what we have today with a sandbox? Because a sandbox is not a vanilla. It's not vanilla. It's exactly. It? It's exactly what you have in production. It's a clone of your production. That doesn't help me. I need to make sure this build. I, I know it. I know it'll work against my existing. Or I, I may know that it might work against my existing production, but like. And and a lot of this matters more for ISVs. Like they need to be able to test also, like deploying to a, a vanilla org with with no. It doesn't help them to deploy right back to the production org that already has most of these components already, right? Because then again, they're com- you're co- they're combining their deployment with what's already in production. You need to make sure that your build has everything the org needs in the way it needs it. And the only way you can do that is if you've if you're starting from zero. Right, which is funny because actually in the Salesforce world there is no zero. Well, that, the, that's the most the most I mean, zero you well hang on the most zero you can get is when you go and sign up for Salesforce and create a new enterprise org from scratch or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's as zero as you can get. But still, that comes with out comes with out of the box objects, right? Because this is an app. This is a I mean, Salesforce is a CRM application. That's assuming you just got sales cards. It's going to come with all the CRM objects and and fields, and it's going to come with reports out of the box. It doesn't even come with data. Doesn't it come with like certain sample data and stuff too? Or is that is that just developer? I think it's just. But anyway, developer. there's a lot of stuff out of the box that Salesforce comes with. But that's as, as zero as you can get. But there, you know, there shouldn't be any custom fields or anything at least. So that's I don't know. I think that's a pretty good test. I mean, the biggest thing that that I think the part part of the problem that solves is. With sandboxes, you're always deploying back to production, which is where your sandbox was created from. So you're still not... You can deploy some code or some things to production, and it may work, but that was because you had all the stuff in production already that made that work. So like, as a silly example, like a utility class that was already in production that maybe you wrote some code that uses. Well, of course you can deploy that back to production. But you may, you may now say, well, oh, that worked great for them. I'm going to deploy it to this other org now. You can deploy it to that other one, and it fails. Well, it fail because... You didn't have that. You forgot you needed that utility class, and that's a super contrived example. But it gets and when you look at the dependency graph of mm-hmm. code and packages and fields and all that kind of stuff, it, it's very complex. You don't you don't want to have you don't want to have to manually figure that stuff out. Like you want to know that you can take this build and deploy it to a vanilla org that doesn't have any pre existing stuff, and it's and it's going to work. That's the test you want. That's, that still doesn't okay. So that makes sense. At that point in time, but does, does that mean that with scratch orgs, I'll be able to provision my own licensing? I'll be able to say this scratch org has this licensing enabled. I think so. You can definitely set the addition, which is also cool. You can say I need a, an enterprise. I mean, there's a when you okay. So there's an API call that you used to create the scratch org, and you pass it just a JSON object that's the configuration of the org. What addition is it? Do you want an enterprise? Do you want a professional? Do you want an unlimited? 
Um, I don't know about how many users. I mean, there's, I don't know what all the options are, but I know there's, you know, there's the set of options you pass in, which is cool. It's like, I mean, right? I, I guess. I mean, I mean, there, there's a lot of little settings, a lot of little things that you can enable, disable within an org. And it, it, is this scratch org going to be able to enable me to, to turn those off and on within the process? It looked like it was the things, and I don't remember what any of the... A good portion of what I, what I run into when I, when I try to build these things that are, they're not necessarily, man, they're considered managed, but they're not, they're not certified app exchange going on the app exchange. They're just things I'm deploying. They're, they're blocks of code that I'm deploying. Is that, you know, if, if it doesn't have the right licensing, if it doesn't have opportunity teams enabled or, or yeah, whatever, sales teams or whatever enabled, or it doesn't have this feature enabled, doesn't have the, the account uh, contact relationship feature enabled, you know, I need to be, able to, to be able to do that. If we're talking just setting up vanilla, then all that has to be automatable. Otherwise, to me, it's no different okay. than, than standing up all a right. brand new sandbox, let me, let me a developer sandbox, I'll, I'll, and configuring it and then running all my tests on it. It's no different you. than it is today. Okay, it is different. You're... you're you're con you're conflating two different things. There's one things that are things you can't control in the metadata that are this overarching thing, overriding features of, of an org, which is like the addition, those kinds of things. But most of those other things you just talked about are actually metadata. So those are not going to be in the JSON config that you pass to the uh, Scratch org creation API. They're, they're, they're not, not metadata today. They're not anything I can deploy. You just listed several things that are metadata. A lot of those settings the are all objects, metadata. The objects are metadata that, that get enabled when you enable those features, but enabling that feature itself is not in the metadata. Yes, it is. It's not, the, not everything. Not every. I didn't say, okay, that metadata... Uh, I, uh, I might have used some poor examples, and maybe that's okay. what's tricking you, so, but so there no, are settings that you have to manually enable, or you have to get Salesforce to enable well, that's true. In, in order right. for, that, yeah. for those objects to appear. A lot of those things do have metadata coverage, though. I mean, if you look in the, the settings metadata types, there's a lot of things that, that are settable via API. Those, mm -hmm. are, those are just settings. You can enable features. You can enable um, various teams things. You can enable knowledge, right? That, a lot of the stuff can be enabled um, through the settings metadata types. So the sand, the scratch or creation API is not going to cover those things. It's these again. It's these things that I think are live outside of any kind of setup you would do. But it, but I mean, metadata coverage isn't is still an ongoing problem. And and you know, they say they've been working on that for. I mean, I've heard them say they've been working on that for, for forever now. And there's yeah. there's still this giant list of things that. I, I still want to see it to believe it. I, I mean, I oh, would I love do. to believe yeah. in what you're saying, that, that, it, that it exists and it does this and you can do all these kind of things. But I'm, I'm a little more skeptical on it. I'm, well, I'm not so sure that what you're describing is anything that we can't do today by standing up other sandboxes. You cannot create a sandbox that doesn't uh, instantly look like your production. It's a clone of your production. You could just by enabling a whole new developer org and then deploying to it. You could, but that's manual. And that also has, you know, this weird thing. Developer orgs are not are not um, vanilla either. They come with I don't know why they come with some customizations done and some data in there and stuff. I think it's supposed to look like here's what a here's it's almost like a you're you're stepped into an org that's already in process. Like oh they've been using this because they've got those silly accounts in there. Mm -hmm. So what about uh, and the contacts and things? I don't I don't have too much experience with this. Um... The, the partner SI um, developer environments you can create, those still come with scratch data, I think, or t sample data, test data. I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember. It's been a while. Yeah. 
So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I don't know, that's DX, I guess, right? I mean, I tried to figure out, you know, they, they, there was a lot of, again, this is Salesforce, so, I mean, just so much, I don't know, smoke and mirror type stuff, but the, the things I could actually figure out that were our real things are scratch orgs and CLI. Am I missing anything? I don't know. There was some discussion about namespaces. <laughs> that is not DX. That's a private, separate conversation. Mm. I don't know. I just, man, I, I, I really just have this overall sense of dread. And it's that, let's say they added namespaces. Well, that's, that's, that's good. That'd be a big improvement. But Apex is so far behind everything else by now. It's just like, okay, that's good. But man, I mean, we don't need it. At this point, incremental improvements will not get us there. I mean, they have, Apex and Visual Force have been left behind by the rest of the world. And, you know, almost 10 years later and they add namespaces, I mean, that's, that's just... Don't get me wrong, I'd use them. I would, namespaces would be great. Um, especially if you could actually deploy... It, actually, if... if, if if namespaces became or like Java packages or whatever, you know, if those became the a unit of deployment, then that that would be that would be a good feature. I would definitely use it. It would and it, it would allow a lot of people to write a lot better code. Right. It's just yeah. not possible. I mean, I'm, I just also I always think back to these big projects like Financial Force. Can you imagine the disaster that is their code base? It's got to be thousands of classes. In one namespace, can you imagine the abbreviations and faux package names that are built mm-hmm. in there? And just, man, I honestly don't know how you get a developer to go work for them. I mean, who would work on that code base? I mean, that's, you know, again, it's, it's like, well, who are you getting? I mean, because good developers are always looking for cool projects, good, you know, Interesting, you know, good code bases and and an opportunity to, to write good code. Yeah, and you t- you know, on an interview, you show them that they they're not going to go work there. Who are you going to get to work on that? I doubt they show them their code in an interview. It's just something you find out once, uh, no, you, once you get it's, in. There. It's pretty common to do actually and to actually to go in and just pair for a day. I mean, you sign an in, you sign a, a thing that yeah. says you won't steal anything, but yeah, that, that's, that's a common thing. Yeah. But I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I, again, I don't know who you're going to get, but it's. You may have to, I mean, I don't know. What do you do? I guess you have to pay a lot more. Pay over market price to get, I mean, because again, good developers are looking for fun opportunities to build good software. And that's just, I don't know. Not sure how that would work. So you encourage, excited about DX? I mean, what, what's your overall emotion about it? It's encouraging that <laughs> that the needle appears to be Starting to, uh, it's starting to blip. You know, it's like it's kind of <laughs> vibrating and it's it's trying to move up a notch. Um, it's encouraging. Um, yeah, maybe um, Peter uh, Peter Chittam or Wade or one of these guys, you know, can set us sh- straight. Yeah, shed some more light, or you know, maybe I don't know if someone wants to come on the show and explain some things, or because this is this is basically what I know, and it's just from listening to the to the keynote and and. You know, Salesforce has this one page up that's a lead gen form, so it's not a whole lot there. But um, so here's the other thing: is is 
is this going to be GA native in the platform, or is this going to be something that you have to pay for? Because that, that's that's going to be a big hurdle to be able to go to. I mean, well, for some clients, you know, like like the ones where you've kind of established this this pattern, you know, right now you're getting it done without incurring extra cost. But if Salesforce decides this is a, you know, adds ten bucks to your user license every 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 month, you know, how do you think that will go over? I don't think they'll do that because honestly, this is just this. Salesforce DX thing is them making good on promises they made years ago. So I don't think they're going to charge for this. Also, you know, Salesforce is still a CRM system is their big thing. Mm-hmm. And or and marketing is is a big piece. Those are the kind of their big pieces right now. And they're they're selling to salespeople and marketing people. You know, chief marketing officers and VPs of sales. How you, how do you how would you sell this to them? They wouldn't even know what you're talking about. Right. It's not, it's not even really selling. Which is what I see my challenge being is, is that exactly that. You know, how do I sell to them that I need this better tool to be able to effectively build what they want? I'm guessing what's happened is this problem has become, because Salesforce has moved up, to food, up, the, up the food chain mm-hmm. and people are building, people, people are starting to do more of what we've been doing for, for years. I mean, people are building bigger things. I mean, you know, again, financial force, that's kind of my go-to I don't, I don't mean to pick on them. They're just, they're a huge, they've got to have a huge code base. And I always yeah. wonder, how in the hell do they do that? Well, go um, work for them and find out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, but yeah, people are building pretty big code bases on Salesforce. So this is actually becoming literally a drag on Salesforce's ability to grow, I think. Yeah. And, and again, there's what Salesforce says their product is. And they say it's not about the CRM of the market is about the platform. Okay, well, I actually I do I do somewhat agree with that because the truth is, as Marketing Cloud is a completely separate product that's quasi integrated mm-hmm. from Sales Cloud, and I mean, really, the big benefit is is getting those things the getting these things on the same platform. You know, I think it would be good if they got Marketing Cloud on the same on the same platform. They're not. I don't think that it probably ever will be. But as much as they can do to provide some abstractions or Appearance mm-hmm. that they're on the same platform. I think that's beneficial, but the platform's got to be good. It's got to have good technologies and good tools that are up to standards. And what I'm hoping is that because again, last time I talked to um, you know Josh Kaplan and whatever the CTO's name was at the time, they said, "Yeah, you're just no, you're Jeremy. You're the only one, only one who we've even heard ask of this." And I think other people are asking for it now. I'm not the only one asking for it. Well, maybe they would have been more prepared if they listened to you back then. <laughs> that's not how business works anyway alright well that's that's DX unless you got anything else on it uh, DX out of DX I, I, I feel like I still don't know anything about it I feel like we went to this whole thing of what we would yeah. like or what we think it is and ima- we, our imaginations are running wild and the different things we can do the different things are going to be gotchas but at the same time every, every one of us out there are in the same position we really don't know if they want to get really nostalgic, they can call the second version of this DX2. Why? <laughs> you, you don't remember the uh, like the 46 DX and then the DX2? No. Oh, wow. What were you doing in the late 90s? Or mid 90s, I guess. Mid 90s. I don't remember what I was doing mid 90s. I bought my the first computer that I bought, I worked in fast food. I was 16 years old. 
and bought a $2,000 computer. It was a 486DX2, 66 megahertz, with, you know, you believe this, a whopping four megabytes, megabytes, not gigabytes, of RAM. You, you apparently $2,000 for that computer. You apparently had your own money at that point in time. I think when I, when I was 16... Did you, hear, did you miss the part about me? I worked, I worked in fast food. I had a job. Yeah, okay. I did too. Okay. But my I was kind of... We, we weren't all that well off. So my oh, paychecks we went either. to my family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I didn't have a lot of disposable income even though I was working at age 16. Well, that's... Yeah, see, I'm... Uh, what do you call it? Priv- I'm priv- I got my first computer when I started working for a computer yeah. company and bought one of their, like... We can't use these anymore. We're upgrading all our machines. Anybody want to buy this piece of crap for a couple hundred bucks? Are you telling me to check my privilege, John? I am. Exactly. My my privilege of frying tacos (laughs) for eight hours at a time. I was so privileged. Hey, I was scrubbing bathrooms at a grocery store. (laughs) I never scrubbed bathrooms for a living. Oh, oh, man, that's an experience. Anytime anyone has to clean a bathroom. Luckily, I didn't have bathroom duty at this place because it was a Mexican food place. And can you imagine cleaning the bathroom at a Mexican food restaurant? Well, well, here's the thing. You would think that a grocery store bathroom wouldn't be that bad. It's not like people sit there and eat. But no, it's horrible. It's horrible. Because no one thinks to go to the restroom at a grocery store unless there's an emergency. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, did you see this tweet? I, I feel like we talked about this, maybe not, but... Need a drink after that. I'm um, missing. <laughs> I guess, I don't know whose talk this was. Someone was giving a talk. It was Daniel Bollinger uh, at Fish of Prey tweeted this. But one of the, I guess they're talking about, you know, I don't know, advanced Apex stuff or whatever. But it, uh, the, the point was, avoid making Apex class or metadata changes during the day that will invalidate interpreted bytecode cache. I read that and I said, what the hell? No, just, that doesn't make sense. It's just an example of a leaky abstraction. Like, I shouldn't have to care about that. That yeah. is not my problem. It's not. No. And it, and it well, that yeah, shouldn't be my problem. And it shouldn't be a problem for me. There's a reason why this company is paying, you know, Salesforce multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars per year. It's supposed to be a platform mm-hmm. that I don't have to worry about. Well, they, they said that numerous occasions when they're talking about the value of Salesforce on, on these keynotes and different yeah. things that they were talking about. You know, in fact, the, I did listen to the beginning part because I was listening to, to what you were playing. And that was one of the things they said. Yeah. Again, it's, it's cloud. It's just someone else's computer. That's all it is. Did you notice that um, this, is, I, was, this actually made some news at Salesforce? You could pick your own pronoun. At Salesforce? Yeah, you get a badge. And it was a, tra- of course, everything's trailhead thing. A little forest and a little trailhead, a little Japanese looking character. And then it says, my pronouns are, and then you, then there was a tear-off stickers, and you picked which programs, so you could pick she, her, he, him, they, them, or ask me. Hmm. Well, that, that should help. Things. I would have picked they, them, because sometimes I feel like I'm, what's that, what's the personality disorder, multiple personality, borderline? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm... Schizophrenic. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just refer, refer to me as they. Well, you would need the ask me badge, because you're not sure what person you'll be at that point in time. That's true. Unless yeah. unless I'm always multiple at the same time. Although I don't think it works that way. That's that's only if, hey, maybe I'm possessed by demons. That wouldn't be a them they. I've got multiple. All I know is I'd probably get myself in trouble because I, I wouldn't I wouldn't see a badge like that and recognize what that meant. Is it is it like well illustrated that this is these are my pronouns? Is that what it said? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, well maybe. My pronouns are my pronouns are he slash him. 
But uh, this, yeah, in this article that I said, you know, a lot of people didn't like it because they felt like it was singling you out, like the Star of David. But they did not like yes, it. Yes, right. But and I, then of I, course, of course, I predicted this. Mark, De- Mark Benioff, the king of San Francisco, uh, the potty czar, uh, there were, um, what are they called? The, you know, whatever. You can use whatever bathroom you want. They were all over the place. Oh, like unisex? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's San Francisco. There's a lot of unisex yeah, bathrooms. That's true. Well, that's, a, that's because most restaurants are so damn small. There's, only, there's literally only one, like, <laughs> room for one toilet. They're like, what? You, there's this, there's this whole concept you, about not, no gender? You that's a, awesome. You a rest- we don't have the room yeah. for this. You got a rest- two bathroom thing for you. You get a restaurant person. in Dallas, you walk into the bathroom, and it's like a, it's like a whole new structure, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> with rows of toilets and shiny, you know. <laughs> no, but you know, I, I, what, I don't know. I, bathrooms to me are a vulnerable situation. I mean, I, I just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable place. And again, and, people, people were upset about this. Like there was people, there was, you know, they found some lady in the interview and she's like, where's the ladies room? You know, she was, she was pissed off. But to her, I would say, hey, check your privilege, lady. When you try not to offend anyone, you, you end up offending a lot more people, I guess. Well, as long as you offend the right people, that's okay. it's okay. Mm. The haters, John. Oh, the if, haters. if you're not on board, you're a hater. But I don't know what I'm... Did, did, the, did the bathroom have like a trailhead badge to tell me how I should react to the bathroom? Because <laughs> I, I don't know anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I don't know. I still hold doors open for people and say good morning, and I, and I hope no one takes offense to it. I'm just... I'm just that's oh, how I, I was brought up. I don't think you can do that in San Francisco. You can do it in Texas. You can get away with that in Texas. Well, yeah. It's still appreciated, but not there. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it was kind of a Trump bashing fest. Benioff, Benioff uh, trashed Trump. That, that made, YouTube, made totally, YouTube totally bashed Trump. Yeah. That, well, the YouTube made, made the news over that. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it's, no, it's, it's, an, made, it's an election cycle. I mean, it, it's top of mind for a lot of people. Benioff made a comment about, you know, Trump's tax return because... Turns out, you know, ninety five, he had to visit, you know, the real some real estate, you know, crash, and he lost like a billion dollars. And I find it interesting, uh, Benioff doing any kind of criticism over uh, how much money someone makes and how much how much tax they pay, considering that I doubt Salesforce has ever paid any kind of tax because they don't make money. You know, all, all this all the stuff about being patriotic and paying taxes, like, well, okay, you. <laughs> well, we should be able to find out. Absolutely, you can. Salesforce does not pay tax. I mean, they don't, they don't pay any federal income tax. Mm. But anyway, that's just another one of those, um, anytime you point the finger at someone, you got three pointing back at yourself. Yeah. Well, I, to me, again, it, it comes back to it being a distraction for Salesforce. I mean, should not Salesforce be, be focused on building great software? And, and sure, they can have a component of philanthropy, but let's build some software. Let's make it great. Let's get everyone here to learn it and study. But why would you risk alienating people or, or risk pissing people off by doing all these things? Because it's not about your shareholders, Sean. It's about your stakeholders. Well, it's just, it's just not how business works. Maybe it is. And, and if he wants it to work this way, then, then buy back the stock and go private. He doesn't they are to. a public company. You, you can't tell him to do that. They're a company that when they went public, they said, we want people to come and invest and make money off of us. We are good. You can invest your money and you'll make some money back. That's how that system works. So if he's not interested in that, go become a private company. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, the, the market has reacted to um, Salesforce and Twitter. In fact, I saw I, that was well, that my has impression. nothing to do with politics or anything, though. No, no. It, but it, it comes down to, you know, 
the decisions they make, you know, whether or not it's something that's good or, or a distraction for them, you know, the market does react and it, it did drop their price whenever they, I, I think now they're out. I think I saw something from Kramer recently that said something about the LinkedIn deal had some effect on them not, but then there were some other comments about Wall Street reacting to them potentially buying Twitter because it was, it would not be a good fit for them. And so they, they reacted by dropping their stock price. So I don't know. You're the expert on that stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, such an expert. So anyways, my, my take is I still don't think it's going to happen. Twitter's, Twitter's not going to buy their sales I don't, I don't either. But so it's the, interesting that so many people have pulled out from the discussions. So the man baby toothbrush that, we, that they touted three or four years ago. Um, man baby toothbrush. Yeah. The, the toothbrush that was going to be hooked up to Salesforce that your dentist used to know how often you brush your teeth. Oh, at the keynote? Yeah, that was years oh, ago. Oh, man. That is actually now supposedly shipping. So you can get your... Well, I thought it was funny that during the keynote, he like rattled off all these things and it felt like a, a, like a, like we were taking a tour of past Dreamforces because he kind of like every kind of theme for every one of those Dreamforces was like a note in one of his comments, including the toothbrush. Or, or like Dan Lyons pointed out, you remember that the theme in 2012 was transform the way you innovate. Or was it innovate the way you transform? <laughs> that's, that's, that's another problem I have with Dreamforce is just the, how heavy it is on buzzwords and on content that means nothing. Well, Benioff comes right out and says, hey, we are here to motivate you, to excite you. And I think they do a damn good job of that. They do. I do have to give them that. I mean, the, even though the keynote isn't kind of what I want it to be, it's still far more entertaining than Larry Ellison. Larison. Larison. Yeah. <laughs> up there, this is our new product. It's cloud. We're right. going to be awesome. We're oh, gonna, no, We're going to get to 10 billion before that other guy does. Right. And, you know, a Docker Lightweight <laughs> Containers. Did I, did I mention Docker Lightweight <laughs> Containers? Because they're in there. Yeah. Right. I, I know how much you love Docker Lightweight yeah. Containers. Oh, did you read that? Uh, there's an article. Um, oh, and don't forget about this one. You can't do this with Salesforce. <laughs> I can tell you that a hundred times. <laughs> so, so I don't know if this is a, a slight or what, but Benioff said recently in an interview something about every time Oracle talks about being the number one SaaS provider, we, we, are, we, are, we sell the most SaaS and things like that. And, and so Benioff's take is like, do you not follow us? Do you not see what we're doing? We're we're on our way to eight billion. Oh yes. And then he kind of said like he doesn't want to say anything to Ellison because he might hurt his feelings. He's he's like a really good friend to him, but he doesn't want to hurt his feelings by you know kind of taking a jab or another. You well, know. so I saw this. Maybe this is the same article as a Business Insider. It was um, Benioff says to Larry Ellison like, "Are you just pretending we don't exist?" Yeah, that's the same one. <laughs> hey, I'm both of these guys pretend whatever they want to pretend. They're both in La La Land, if you ask me. <laughs> I just think it's funny that 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 uh, Benioff is is that sensitive to Ellison's um, emotional state of mind. Yeah, yeah they're just just fun and games. So, did you see that Salesforce um, has declared that um, they've come up with a new word for ISV? They're no longer going to call ISVs ISVs anymore. Really? Yeah. Why not? Well, you know, Salesforce—they've got to create their own. They've got to create either new words for the same thing. Or create new meanings for existing words, just so that we have no shared vocabulary anymore. Salesforce you know wants what? us to stop using the long-established ISV acronym to describe its partners in its ecosystem. Henceforth, it is declared that they will be known as the Application Innovation Partners (AIPs). The AIPs, Application Apes. You done with AIP? They're apes. Oh, He's calling them apes. <laughs> John, you know what? Salesforce can, can define their pronouns however they want. They can. So stop it. That's true. 
Well, that's not a pronoun. It's more of an acronym. Jeremy, it's 2016. We can all define our own pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been the whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> um, crux. You know, I'm trying to understand what this Crux thing was. They spent, that was their the acquisition they announced. I mean, it's not even closed. They announced it right before Dreamforce started. Because like Einstein 700 million, $700 million. And I tried to understand what this is. I don't really know. I'm not a digital marketing uh, system person. Did it something to do with, I don't know. If someone can, if someone understands what the hell Crux is, let me know. But I went to their site. I, it seemed like some kind of intelligence built around marketing. So I I don't know. I, I my my initial thought was okay. That's going to be Einstein marketing, I think, or marketing for or Einstein for marketing. And I think Crux particularly deals with like massive amounts of data. So I don't know if it's like signaling and things like that, which could be interesting, and that could tie into some of the AI stuff that Salesforce is doing. Well, I mean the 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 Crux. Yep. The Crux of AI is the data you feed it. So in in terms of machine learning, so you know maybe maybe they. Maybe they needed that data. How to how to train your AI? It's all about training your AI, man. Well, you that's tra- the other, that's the other thing when we talk about AI. I mean, it's it's only because we're talking about machine learning and training it based on historical data. Your AI is only going to be as as smart as your the data you've collected. That's right. So if you collected some pretty crap data, you know, unfortunately, you're, you're going to turn out with a non Einstein-y system. Yeah. What else? Uh, can, can we talk about this? Okay. I, I still think it's inappropriate. And I think it's further inappropriate to have a caricature of Einstein. I do too. I think it's just in poor taste. I, I don't like it, but I don't know. Maybe that's just modern. This is a, this is a well, modern irreverence. You know, we're, we're going to slash every, every existing tradition and historical legacy, person, idea, whatever. We're just going to be completely irreverent and not care about it, and we will appropriate whatever we want to it's appropriate. Kind of the dark side of capitalism, isn't it? This this idea that money trumps, you know, legacy. Dark. It's just it's just distasteful to me. I, I, I don't know. Well, here, here's here's my problem least, with it. So, I, I'm willing to give Salesforce a pass because they do have permission, and I'm sure they they have endowed whatever organization gave them permission with the funds they need to continue contributing to Einstein's legacy. But the partner community and all of us out here who are trying to sell and everything, we are now going to have to start using Einstein in vain. <laughs> we are still, we are now going to have to push all these things. And I've seen a lot of advertisements using Einstein as well, who may or may not have asked for permission. I saw some shoes and sneakers. I wonder if those were with with that that pic that same picture of Einstein with his tongue hanging out that everyone uses when he's when they want to talk about a silly scientist. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I th- I don't know. I think it sets us down a bad path. You know, interesting about Einstein, I noticed, first of all, there was, they didn't really announce anything earth-shattering about it. I mean, Einstein itself did not seem earth-shattering, which was supposed to be the big... It, it, yeah, we, we, you know, a lot of people was, were taking pictures for us of the crowd. Well, actually, they were taking pictures of other people that we that they knew. But you, you kind of got a sense from looking around that when they started really getting into it, when they had the, um, I forgot her name, the data scientist at the keynote. But you oh, sent you sent me her LinkedIn profile. She looked like she had a pretty impressive resume. Oh, she, I looked. I thought she looked quite junior. That's what surprised me. Really? Yeah. I mean, she her career started in Microsoft around two thousand eight. She's been doing data science since then. No, she was doing like she was like it was like lead lead developer or something like that on just mm-hmm. whatever. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. Her. Well, I got the impression that she was she knew what she was talking about. But e- either way, I, mean, I got the impression she was re- just reading directly from a which obviously well, it, well, it was script. her first keynote, yeah, and she's yeah. she's up there right after Mark and Benioff and everything with with like. 
200,000 people watching her. I mean, and I'm not being critical of like her, her delivery or anything. It, to me, it's just the, the, I'll, my commentary really is just about Einstein in general. Like there's just the content was not, it wasn't, it wasn't real. What's the word? Um, well, I, uh, it goes back to, to what Dreamforce is and, 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 and why maybe we shouldn't be so critical of the fact that we're not getting the kind of deep seated information from it because if you look at the crowd when she was doing her presentation and talking about all these different things about you know data science in general at at a high level even then it was kind of falling numb on people people were just kind of like uh, they were looking at their phones they were catching up on their twitter feed they were, they were posting all the pictures they took of benioff and parker and you know they, they kind of checked out at that point they didn't they didn't really want that so yeah, i'm starting to get the impression that dreamforce in general and what what, what people really want out of dreamforce isn't that deep technology well, and, and i think we're it. seeing salesforce try to figure out how to come up with new things to sell to their customers hmm. yeah but i don't fault them for that they need to make oh, i don't either I, but we need to but, get to 10 billion no I, I don't fault them at all i think it's totally fine it's just it's interesting though that i think your observation here is that to, to a large degree it's falling on deaf ears right well but you know the the the, the details around it and and i and i think salesforce's approach is is seems to be correct in that in that vein that you know, people don't understand this technology. They don't understand AI. They don't understand any of this, but they they can see how it can help improve. They can see how it can help enhance what they do. And by, I'm going to use air quotes here, democratizing it with the way they're trying to do, that seems like a valid path for their audience. Yeah. But there was no, um, I didn't see any Richard Socher sighting. So if he had a talk or was there, uh, somebody let me know. Um. Also, no replacement for what was the guy's name that um, I have it written down somewhere? Steve Laughlin. No replacement for him yet. I mean, he ran. He ran that, and they haven't announced Richard Socher as as a replacement. They got Richard with um, with MetaMind. I was going to say MetaMind. Okay, so so I don't know. I mean, that's kind of behind the scenes stuff, I guess. What about but. IoT? I mean, it was mentioned numerous times, but it doesn't feel. Well, it's it's not a world I live in. N none of my clients are into IoT, so there's there's really no there's no reason for me to know about it at this point in time. But it still kind of feels like this virtual thing that's out there that someone seems to be using, but I don't really know. Yeah. Does anyone know anyone using IoT on Salesforce? Yeah. But yeah, they talked about. It. I mean, they announced like some new features and things for. It. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I mean, it seemed like like it was real at that point. Well, they never but actually. At the same time, I'm like, I've no one's ever asked yeah, me. Yeah, I feel this. like IoT is still just. Is it me or is it just in like these private kind of pilots that you can't even, I mean, like it's one of those things don't ask or like, you know, it's on a need to know basis. And if they haven't called you and given you IOT, then you, do, you can't even ask for it. Well, I, I don't, I think it's, it's IOT as an industry in general, because it, well, depending on your perspective, the consumer IOT market in general, I, I think is still in its extreme infancy. If you want to talk commercial use, maybe it's, it's, it's much up there. It's higher up there in the chain. But when, whenever I, I installed the new Apple HomeKit or that came with my new iOS 10, whatever version it is, it has that new HomeKit. And the only thing I really had to stick on it was my thermostat because I upgraded to Echobee. I have nothing. And there was some, there was some advertisement for some light bulbs that I could install. And I'm like, well, is that what IoT is? Thermostats and light bulbs? Is that what we have to choose from? See, I, you, you always struggle with this. Like You're trying to fit IoT into some, into some box. Like it's like the consumer to fit it into thing. my life. I'm trying to trying to understand how IoT benefits me as a consumer in my everyday life. Think about well, then you're you're making it too much about you. Of course, 
I mean, the, I'm the well, most important. The, the way it benefits, the king. A lot of ways, the way it benefits you, and in, in, in ways in which these are not products that you necessarily buy. I mean, basically, the IoT is the idea of like that everything can be tracked, everything can have sensors and IP addresses. You know, everything from yes, your thermostat, but also shipping containers and everything inside a shipping container and medical devices and just, I mean, cars. Everything's going to have sensors and IP addresses, and they're all going to be throwing off gigantic amounts of data. And how do we signal from that? How do we have this? massive stream of data and somehow get signals from that process that data event event that data that's yeah that I mean that and, and it's it's but that's such a big concept it is hard to wrap your head around that i think for a lot of people even me i mean i don't, and I don't even do i mean i don't do any iot things but, but it's, it's that's kind of that in my fourth mind that's wall of of technology where you don't really see it benefiting but it benefits you everywhere is kind of what i'm getting from you well, and also people try to talk about like IT, like it's this one thing, like oh, you can buy it. Oh, buy our that's what that's how Salesforce well, right sells now, it. Buy Salesforce our IoT. Is selling us a toothbrush for IoT. I, I don't. It's not a toothbrush for IoT. It's just a man baby toothbrush that you know spanks you if you don't brush your teeth often oh, enough. I want my toothbrush to spank me. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> Bad boy. Brush this morning. <laughs> um, you can now brand your Salesforce One app. That was uh, kind of interesting, although hmm, that got some cheers though. It's interesting. People do want more branding. They do want to, to because, because you can customize Salesforce so much and because you can tailor it in so many ways, I think people want to feel that sense of ownership with the product. They, they want it to brand it with theirs because they, they put their stamp on it. They put their mark on but it. But what's that? This isn't Salesforce CRM anymore. This is at Company X's CRM. Was that more for ISV, uh, sorry, AIPs, apes, or was that more for... That's what it seemed like to me. Like you can build an app, you know, in your developer org, and then you can package that app as a as a Salesforce One app with your own branding on it. No, I think it's more than that. I think I think enterprise in general likes to brand things. They they like to. I'm make not asking sure. what people like. I'm asking what that was. What that thing was they demoed. What was that? Was that what I, I described? I, I, didn't, I didn't see what was on okay. the screen, but I do know from from past things that have happened that I've been involved in where they were talking about branding and the ways you can brand things. It, it was something that, you know, anyone who uses Salesforce can do. They can change and brand, brand the application in a more thoughtful way, I guess I'll say. <laughs> to, to their own detriment. Yeah. I mean, if, if, you, if you're branding, if your icon like the Good Day Sir logo is red, branding Salesforce in red might be a bad idea because, you know, that's kind of what we typically use for you know, attention, alert. Yeah. Something happened, pay attention. So it has its negatives, but I, th- I think in general, enterprise companies like to put their stamp on things. Right. They want you to know you're in their system. Let's see. I'm going through to see if I have anything else. Um, did we talk about how this, I don't know who, if, who was driving this, but Salesforce and, you know, Slack is going to come out with Salesforce support natively? We didn't talk about that. That's interesting because Again, this is like this troops thing. And yeah. didn't what did Salesforce not participate in some of their funding? Maybe they didn't. It, it doesn't matter to Salesforce. But it was, and and not to say that troops may still have a, a very unique product that's got a lot of value add that's above and beyond what the Slack direct with Salesforce is going to do. Um, and I also think that troops was targeting not just Salesforce but some other apps with with Slack um, bot integration. Mm-hmm. But one thing that's cool about this is I think this is one of those things I've. And and I don't think Slack's a you know uh, there's issues with it and, and there's there's actually um boy psychological social um, process issues with Slack um, 
you now you now hear more and more stories about how Slack is becoming a problem for teams more than it is a solution. Uh, how so? Oh, just distract. That's the way that email became a problem. I don't know. I I find it. I find it very useful. Over it, over, like it, I barely check email for for certain products because we're on Slack and we're able to kind of communicate. Now it, it does become a problem when I Slack to the general instead of the DM sometimes. But at least I can delete that really quick. I can I can edit that really quick versus email, which is, it's gone and done. Harm is done. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention is just that I upgraded to Sierra, <clears throat> and my machine was I was on. Yosemite, which was two behind, right? Yeah, because you're weird. And the only reason I upgraded was because I needed to do, I wanted to do, this was a couple weeks ago, I needed to do an, a demo, an iOS app that I've been working on right. on my iPhone, which is on, you know, iOS, what is it, 9.3? What's the latest? IOS, or is it 10? No, it's 10 something. Yeah, 10. Yeah, yeah that's right. 10, 10.02 now, I think I we're on. And my, <laughs> I needed, the major is I needed, 10, but it's, it's, it's always a minor Everything's a minor from here on. Yeah, it was, um, I think it's, uh, whatever it is, 10 something. But I needed to upgrade my Xcode to support iOS 10. So I downloaded Xcode 8, because I was still in the 7 branch. And I couldn't install Xcode because my, op- they required, probably El Capitan, but certainly it did not work, it would not work on Yosemite. So I'm like, crap, I'm going to have to upgrade my OS now. Yep. But I, I just have to say, and, I, and I'm sure there are counterexamples, but I feel like Apple has this operating system thing just completely whipped at this point. Why? I mean, it just works so well. I mean, I just, I upgraded and it just worked perfectly. It's pretty fast. It's because you're a fanboy. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm quite <laughs> I, I critical. I saw some articles uh, and I was surprised by them of, I mean, of how, every, you know, people were just complaining that, that and, and these might be the minority. These are, these are super users. These are people who like get into the trenches of the OS. Um, Complaining about how it broke this or broke that or broke this, but for the most part, from a, from my perspective, it's always been a flawless upgrade. I and I always do. I'm I'm not one of these guys that does the clean and clean install. I always upgrade. And the only time I get a new clean install is when I buy a new machine. I, I I've been upgrading lately, but I I lean on the clean install. Side. I know I'm I willing do. to well, wipe that's, everything. That's because clean. you came from a Windows world, whereas well, where in you, Windows, I would I would reinstall probably. Three or four times a year. I know. Which, which from again, scratch. This to me, this shows you where Apple is on OSs versus Microsoft. And I and I know that Microsoft has to support third party hardware and all that, so their job is probably by definition harder. But Apple's just really good at this. I don't even upgrade Windows. I buy a full copy every time yeah. and keep my old VM because I run on VM now. So yeah. for Windows, so I keep my old VM and I buy a a new full version of the OS and create a new VM out of it. Right. Yeah, it just worked really well. I just, I just like it clean. I, I run a cleaner on my system. Though. You know, I was really surprised because one reason why I don't upgrade that often is because, well, really, I mean, again, I, I feel like OS ten or now it's called Mac OS is so mature that it, it does. I mean, all its subsystems are really mature at this point for the most part. I mean, the only thing that I, I would say the big the big subsystem that's um, in the most need is probably the file system, but <clears throat> but most things are really mature, and so. For the past several operating system upgrades, it's been just you can tell they're just like they're they're hammering out the, the these last bits of performance. They're adding some new features, but it's like they it's the operating system's kind of complete. It's feature complete. Yeah, I mean, so now it, yeah, yeah, hard, you can it's hard you know, to notice they added what's Siri. New. That's yeah. so Siri's new in Siri. That's the one of the 
things that stands out most. And there's all kind. If you want to read the list, there's all kinds of all these just subtle performance increases and whatever. But it's kind of a it's a mature product, so it's I think that's one reason why it's not that big of a deal. Whereas I feel like, for example, Windows 10 seems like an immature product. You know, they've got to this. What was the one? Was it Metro that was the big break from kind of the Windows yeah. that Windows Seven thing? Yeah, and that that was geared more towards touch interfaces. But I mean, look at the news that's been coming out around Windows Ten and just all the issues they've had with um, some of these upgrades and failures and and people well, I, still. I think that was more of an an ideology fail because they they really went for unifying tablets with desktops and that touch interface, and people just did not like it. And in fact, I know a lot of people who have Surface tablets, yeah. notebooks. Mm-hmm that um, freak out when they end up in the tablet mode and want to get back to the desktop mode as quick as possible. Well, what I, and I was just saying the other day, we, you and I were talking about these convertible machines. I'm just like, I don't care how good you do it or how good the operating system manufacturer does it. I mean, you're still relying on all, you know, third-party software for most applications. Right. And, and them getting that right, the ability to work in both modes. I mean, most application providers, even well-respected ones, like look at Evernote. I mean, people still complain... That it, there's so many things it doesn't get right. I mean, imagine if they had to support tablet in, in the same app, tablet mode and OS mode, or and you know desktop mode switch. I mean, it's just it's just kind of a I don't know. I just don't think we're there. It's well, kind of a recipe for disaster. I think Evernote tried at one point to do that. They tried to have a single code base, and they eventually split. I think like like well, they certainly never had a single code base because they run on Android, Windows, Mac, iOS. Those are I think they had cross. I think they had some cross-platform libraries, but I think now that's changed because I think they're all. I think even Mac OS is down to C. It's not even using um, Sierra. I mean, you oh, Mac OS Evernote. They're Evernote. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, t- I, I oh just, no, it was it was their dot, it was their um, Windows version. It used to be a .NET, and they went down to C okay. for that version. I just don't believe that anyone's going to do a combination desktop and tablet machine well. I've been trying since you know when when, when did that start? Fujitsu started that, what fifteen years ago, and it's just it's still it's just still not there. And I well, don't I, think I it's think, ever going to be. I think there. Apple has the right approach in that they're they're streamlining the notebook. They're making it thinner, lighter, and, and to the point where eventually the the entire PC will be behind the screen, and you'll just have a keyboard. But and I just it's don't want transition. I don't want mine or shell. anyone else's greasy fingers all over my damn screen. I don't either. Uh, you know, you know how I am. I don't even like I don't even like t- tablets for that reason. For that I have reason, a tiny little I know. device here that I used to wipe off my. For people watch. that don't know this, don't know John. He is what's you are totally OCD. He comes in and he literally inspects for tries to find specks of dust on his desk. And every time he picks up his watch or his phone or his computer, he's got all he's got everywhere. He's got microfiber cloths stashed in drawers in his bag. He's got this little thing, little transformer device here that transforms, and <laughs> it looks like some I don't know what that's supposed to be, but it turn, you turns into a a little microfiber. It pulls portable out. And it's got this little thing. pad on it, and you can clean your watch. I don't like fingerprints. Yeah. All right, I have these nice shiny devices, so, and it n- distracts from. Next week, do we want to do we want to dig into any of the audio or try to get some clips from any of these sessions? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to to pick apart some keynote stuff and some DX stuff, and you know, whatever we can grab our hands on. Maybe some Kramer yeah. stuff. Um, so I want to do some thank yous. Who um, who sh- who was it that shared uh, that actually men- uh, mentioned us in their talk? Uh, Stephen No, I think. Yeah, Stephen Noe yeah. or No? No. 
I, I say no. Is it Noe? I don't know. I don't. Oh, we have some reviews too when we get to that. Okay. Um, but yeah, thanks to everyone who, you know, talked about us, shared us. I think, you know. Wore our shirt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in fact, right now, as, as we speak, I think uh, Jay is running around wearing our shirt. He got a high five yep. from the bear. But we need, we need this to, this needs to be a continuing initiative. What? So keep it up. <laughs> sure. No, just, just everything, you know, just sharing it and, you know, reviews. If you, reviews help. If you want to give us a review on iTunes or, we're not on Stitcher, so you can't do that, but iTunes does help. We really appreciate those. Yeah. All right. We doing reviews? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's make this quick. So we have two new reviews. Um, First one is called Best Salesforce Podcast There Is, and this is from Moiseek, M-O-Y-S-I-E-K. Am I saying that right? Yeah, this is an influential person. Am I not recognizing the name? I guess you're not. How do you spell it again? M-O-Y-S-I-E-K. Yeah. Anyway, let's read it. The guy's name is Chris vamp because I'm struggling. (laughs) All right. This is the greatest podcast for any seasoned Salesforce professional. Just straight to the point of the pros and cons of the platform with analysis on other development tools and news. Keep it up, guys. And please, please, please don't quit at the 100 mark. (laughs) I need this. (laughs) Yeah. So we appreciate it. We appreciate that you guys do want more. It, it, It helps. I mean, we we spend so much time doing this podcast, and it it cuts into our work day. It really does. I mean, and not that I'm again. I know. I oh boy. I hope it does does not come across as me complaining. No. Or whining. And I know it probably does. And I do not intend it. I apologize if that's the way it comes across. I'm not complaining. You know. I, we we enjoy doing it. but yep. It does have kind of. We do kind of have to carve out time to to do it and prep it and prepare it and post it and. But even people just like you know sharing stuff in the in our Slack channel, that, that just helps um, reinforce or remind me that oh, we're just not like talking into the ether. Yeah. Right? There's actually people that are listening. Because sometimes you know, it's people. like, you know, I don't know, you don't you forget, I guess. Yeah. Which is kind of what this is supposed to be all about. It's supposed to be us just talking about whatever, you know, our Salesforce woes, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> what, you know, what's what we're doing, what's what tool we're using or, you know, whatever, whatever. Well, thanks, Chris. Yeah, Chris was at Dreamforce. I don't. I didn't see him at the meetup, at the happy hour. So I don't think he went. But. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I don't know. There, there's a lot of people that kind of filtered in and out. So I'm not sure we got to Facetime with everyone, but or hang out. Um. So, so the next review. Oh, he's uh, also an MVP, by the way. Well, damn it! I should know him. Yep. Now I feel bad. Anyway, well, let's get to the next one. Straight up, no chaser. It's a title. <laughs> that's a song, isn't it? I mean, that's a. I mean, it's a, it's a drink it's a, thing. It's a lyric. It's a, no, well, it's a uh, straight no chaser. A straight um, no chaser is a Bush lyric. I remember that from something. Um, this is a jazz, like a jazz standard. Oh well, right? it's a lyric in, in a Bush song. I know that much. It's also up straight no chaser, uptown funk. Anyway, all right. Sorry. This is from Roger Mitchell. Long-time friend of the podcast. Yep. Known very well. Jeremy and John produced something that has brought me back to the trash fire that is podcast.app. <laughs> I don't know what that app is. Is that an Android app? No, it's the 
It's the iPhone, the the, oh. the built-in podcast app. Uh, we'll try Overcast. It's a little bit better. Are Are you happy with Overcast? Overall, I'm happy with Overcast. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm happy with it. I'm I'm not a fan of the. Uh, I I'm okay with the developer. He's he's a smart guy. I just don't like some of the stuff he says. I don't care about that. I'm more concerned about the app itself, yeah. and it it, it is it it doesn't have all the features my previous app had, Downcast, mm-hmm. but it's got uh, the the important things are are better done, more well done. Does that make sense? Is that mm-hmm. grammatically correct? All right, let's finish this. All right, so Jeremy and John produced something that has brought me back to the trash fire that is podcast.app to download and listen to their episodes weekly. When they miss a week, there's a slight amount of rage associated as I get enjoyment from their episodes while training for longer runs on the weekend. But alas, I understand they are both busy dudes. If you want to hear a podcast about Salesforce.com and its awesomeness, the phenomenal platform, and amazing results of the new products, this may be a jarring experience because it's unlikely you encounter the deep aspects of the platform. If you want to hear a podcast that's realistically contrasts life as a technologist slash consultant and a world of enterprise platforms, unicorn messaging services, and the pain of pushing Salesforce to its limits, then you're in the right place. Click subscribe and download a handful of older episodes. I'm looking forward to see this going another 98 plus episodes and hitting the 200 episode mark and greatly appreciate their, their perspective. That was a nice review. Yeah, it was. Thanks, Roger. <laughs> two, two stars? How many stars? Uh, uh, yeah, these, <laughs> we didn't ever say the stars, but so far they've all been five stars except for that one that we got. I do enjoy the... You know what I would like to do? Jeremy, Jeremy wants you people to write some bad reviews because yeah. he, he wants to have some They're fun, fun with them. They're funny. <laughs> so whether you hate us or like us, apparently he wants you to write a bad review so he can talk about you it. You know what? I, I, don't want ba- <laughs> I don't want low stars because I, that, that will actually hurt, hurt our, our, I know, our t- iTunes performance. But what would be fun is like a roast. Where on, I don't know, maybe we create like a, a, a separate channel in the Slack where they can tell people can just totally roast us for all the stupid crap we get wrong and all of our bad habits. <laughs> well, they can just do that in the general. They can just roast us there. That's true. Well, John, as we go out, I would just like to say to you, be a customer trailblazer. I am a trailblazer. I leave a trail everywhere I go. <laughs> Not that I don't want that kind of trail. <laughs> And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Dreamforce could be funny. Uh, that, that in itself was kind of like a clown show. Amazing, 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 amazing. Incredible. Isn't that amazing? Incredible. 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 Unbelievable. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Incredible. Amazing. It's amazing. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Awesome. Phenomenal. 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 Incredible. Awesome. Awesome. Phenomenal. Phenomenally. Awesome. Phenomenal. Incredible. Amazing. Unbelievable. Phenomenal. Incredible. Awesome. Awesome. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Awesome. Awesome. Phenomenal. It's been an amazing keynote. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you.